from the studios of Boise State Public Radio News. I'm Samantha Wright filling in for Jimma Goddett, and it's Idaho Matters. It's also Friday, time for our reporter roundtable. That's when we get you up to date on all the news that made headlines this past week. And today, our panel includes Clark Corbin with the Idaho Capital Sun, Alex Bruzzi with the criminal, she's this criminal justice and breaking news reporter with the Idaho Statesman, Sydney Kidd with BoiseDev.com, and Nicole Blanchard with the Idaho Statesman. I want to thank everyone for coming on the show today. How you doing? Hey, good, Sam. Happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday. Good happy, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Yeah, no kidding. Alex, I want to start with you. Um, you had an article this week. Why was the Boise Police Oversight Director fired? And you dug into some court records to try and find some information on what was going on there. Give us a, a bare outline, because this is a, a long story and it's got a lot in it. But uh, what did you find? Yeah, so this has kind of been an ongoing saga, um, but this is kind of the newest thing um, in Jesus Hara, the former accountability director's lawsuit. He has um, filed some documents um, alleging that, you know, he's trying to, I guess, what he's trying to do is get a judgment um, so that his case can kind of be closed and move on. And in those documents, we found kind of some of the first comments made by city officials about why he was fired. Um, When he was fired back in December, the big thing that we heard from the mayor and other city council members was his accusation that he was randomly reviewing body camera footage and that he had viewed over 8,000 videos. And they kind of played it as this very serious violation of privacy for, you know, Boise residents. Um, you know, Hara has kind of countered that and said that those statements are really defamatory. And then he's, you know, they're trying to make him out to be a creep or some kind of voyeur. Um, but in that lawsuit or in that these new filings, we've also kind of seen that, you know, the city also had concerns about the way that Hara was handling these internal complaints. Um, some of the complaints that actually led to the public publicization of those complaints actually led to the firing of um, former Chief Lee, and also an accusation that he might have leaked a confidential memo to the media. Well, and as I said, there's a lot here. You get into yeah. a lot of the controversy over, you know, where, I mean, just where Boise police officers are supposed to file complaints. I mean, this is just some of this that came out of this reporting. Yeah, that was a really big thing that, you know, was talked about in the reporting. And it it's kind of interesting, even in the depositions between the mayor and the chief of staff, like depositions that were just maybe a couple months apart, we saw conflicting kind of conversations about where officers should complain if they have a complaint. And, you know, what happened in this case, um, when former chief Lee was asked to resign, and these kind of complaints came out about him after a KTV article was published, Um, these officers originally went to human resources to complain and they were turned away. And so then, and they were told, you know, either go to internal affairs or go to the office of police accountability. And they didn't want to go to internal affairs because the chief oversees internal affairs and they had concerns about that. Um, Fair, fair enough. And so they went to the, um, you know, they went to the uh, oversight office and, and that kind of started this (laughs) ongoing saga because there was this memo that um, Jesus Hara, you know, issued kind of where he said he's collected these complaints about the chief and he's also kind of saying the chief should be put on leave and that memo got publicized and kind of started this whole process um but the city has kind of clarified their process now and says that for the most part if an officer has a complaint they should go to um, their supervisor or internal affairs though in the case of a complaint against the police chief the deputy police chief 
um, or the head of internal affairs that they should be going to human resources and human resources should be intaking those complaints. Well, as I said, this is a long article. You guys went through a lot of records um, and you found out a lot of great information. But I guess where does it go from here? I mean, what's the next step in this case? Yeah. So, um, like I said, this, these, all these documents, while they're really interesting, were actually part of a motion for a summary judgment or a partial summary judgment, which if was, if that was granted by the judge in this lawsuit would kind of skip parts of the jury trial and kind of just move on to where the judge, if he agreed with Hara's motion would say, okay, I agree. You know, the city did retaliate against you and we're going to just move on to talking about like compensation and damages. So there's actually going to be a hearing um, regarding that in March. And between then, I'm assuming the city will also kind of respond with their counter arguments about, you know, why they think that maybe some of Hara's claims are unfounded in their perspective. And then we'll kind of have that hearing and see where it goes from there. Wow. Okay. Uh, we'll wait for, for March and find out what's next. Clark, you did a lot of reporting this week, and you're going to think this may be a little strange, but I wanted to start with Highway 55. And for anyone who's driven 55, it's it's a scenic highway, and it was originally built for that. But um, now, folks, like former Senator Larry Craig are saying, we need an alternative to Highway 55. And, you know, I kind of throw that out there, but that's a really big deal when you think about it. Tell us about this story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for uh, having me on, but you're exactly right. Uh, former U.S. Senator Larry Craig uh, was at the Idaho State Capitol building yesterday on Thursday, and he's asking Idaho legislators to create a committee to study traffic and to study uh, Highway 55 and to consider a potential alternative corridor to connect central Idaho to the Treasure Valley. Um, he was joined by another legislator who's pushing for this, and they've said that uh, over the last 10 years, Idaho's experienced incredible growth, I think, as everybody knows. And while that happens, uh, it's led to additional congestion on Highway 55 to the point where it's become more dangerous and there are more crashes. I think that uh, according to the bill that I was looking at, when you look at the time period uh, from uh, 2018 to 2022, there were 900 crashes Ugh. and 25 fatalities on State Highway uh, 55. And what they're saying is that, and you kind of mentioned it, Sam, but they're saying that Highway 55 was envisioned to be this scenic byway that would sort of follow the Payette River out of the Treasure Valley up to Cascade, McCall, the rest of Valley County, and it was the scenic byway. Uh, but now it's this congested transportation corridor. And in fact, uh, Larry Craig said it's become the most dangerous highway in our state right now. And so he's asking the legislature uh, to take a look at this. And this would be a huge project. And they're talking about just getting started with a study, but to, to actually look at an alternative way to connect central Idaho with the Treasure Valley. And I think anybody who's on the road today, maybe if they're coming or going to McCall for the weekend, uh, knows the uh, about the struggles on, on 55. They talked about uh, the traffic. They talked about how bad it gets during the summer. I know that uh, our friends at Boise Dev have done a lot of reporting about the situation on State Highway 55. Uh, I know that there's an intersection planned at the Banks-Loman Road that will be going in. Um, and there's been a lot of construction on that highway uh, in, in recent years. But uh, 
this is just at the beginning of the process. This just was introduced yesterday. Um, but there could be a new committee that would spend uh, the next year after the legislature adjourns uh, looking at this issue, studying Highway 55, studying two other uh, transportation corridors. That would be State Highway 95 and State Highway 16. But this, this could potentially lead uh, to a big project or a big series of ideas. But it's kind of just getting started with the idea that we're really putting uh, more vehicles and more congestion on Highway 55 than was ever really intended to the point now that uh, policymakers and officials are saying it's the most dangerous state and the highway and it's time to address it. So definitely something to stay tuned uh, and to follow. But I'm glad you highlighted it. And, and that's why I wanted to report on it yesterday is because uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of interest in this. And, and this may be um, a long discussion uh, ahead, but there's a formal proposal out there to to create a study to look at doing something different. So I'll, I'll keep my eyes on it for you, Sam. Absolutely. You know, and you think about that. And I know they've just gotten started, but you just kind of in your in your mind when you're thinking about 55 or even 95 alternate route. I mean, how do you even begin to do that in this day and age? You're talking about finding a place to put it and buying land. And I mean, it's just insane. So I think it is a big deal. And uh, I'm glad you're tracking it. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, but absolutely, the logistics would be incredible. And we're talking about rivers and, and, and mountains uh, and, and just a difficult part of the state uh, as it is. Uh, so I'm not sure what the solution is going to be, um, but it's an incredible challenge uh, before the state right now. And uh, I'll keep an eye on it. And I know a lot of other reporters, Sam, uh, will continue to follow this because the public will have questions for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Sydney, um, great story. Bill barring cities from certain rental regulations heads to the Idaho House. And I'm going to ask you about this. And there was some great testimony, and you highlighted this in the story. And I have to throw this out there because if you haven't read the story, you should. One person testified, I'm going to quote, rogue ordinances from municipalities that promote socialist ideas. I have to think that's aimed at a certain city, but uh, I'm going to let you tell it. Tell us the story. What is this all about? Yes. Okay. So thank you. <laughs> um, there was a bill introduced to the legislature this week, um, and it would essentially prohibit local governments from requiring any property owners um, that are seeking to rent out their properties to participate in um, optional federal housing assistance programs or any program that would regulate uh, rent, fees, or deposits. Um, and this came from Representative Mitchell from Moscow. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of testimony on this. Uh, the city of Boise felt like this was a, a bill targeted at them because they recently passed um, some renter protection policies and ordinances um, that and one of them basically said that rent or uh, property owners can't uh, disqualify somebody based off of their source of income. Um, and that was kind of considered like the Section 8 protection ordinance. Um, at the hearing, 
uh, several representatives from Boise spoke on this and they said that they're not forcing anybody to take Section 8 housing, that they are just saying that you can't disqualify somebody based off of that. Um, and I think it was Rep or, uh, Council Member Hallie Burton, he said he likened it to age protections. Like you can't discriminate some from and bar them from renting one of your properties because they're 75 but you don't have to rent to them because they're 75 um and then samantha you uh touched on this a bit but yeah there was some testimony from a former meridian mayoral candidate um, mike hahn who is a bit of a familiar name here in the treasure valley um he was the one that said it was a clear infringement on property rights um, and he kind of pointed a finger at Boise and saying um, that they were creating rogue ordinances that promote socialist ideals. Well, I think, okay, first off, tell us what Section 8 housing vouchers are in case folks don't know. Yeah. So basically, Section 8 housing is a federal housing program. Um, which people can apply for to receive rental assistance. Um, and that would go, it's it's money that goes towards paying people's rent. Um, and it depends, I mean, depending on where you're at in the state, there are some property owners that can say, hey, like we don't accept Section 8 housing, right? Because it is a voluntary program. So they sometimes don't want to take it. Um, but yeah, in Boise, they said you can't disqualify somebody just because they have the Section 8 voucher that they're using towards their housing. Well, and, and you know, it, it, I think it's no secret that there are folks out there, lawmakers out there, who think that Boise promotes socialist ideas. Um, you don't always hear that in a hearing, though. But I think it's fascinating about this uh, private uh, property debate and what you can or can't do with your property. And there is this concern, this this fear out there that regulations like Boise has put in place would somehow hurt private property rights. And I think that's where the the interesting part of your article comes in is talking about that and trying to figure that out. Yeah. So it, it was um, definitely a big part of the debate about this Um Mitch, Representative Mitchell said that it was that this bill wasn't about Boise. It was about trying to protect um, property owners, like you said. Um, but some people that were, you know, opposed to this bill were worried that it was the state stepping in and not and, and taking away power from local governments to do things like solve local housing crises or crises. Um, and that, you know, is this really something that the state needs to, to get involved with? Um, another concern that was raised was this bill wouldn't just, um, prohibit the section eight ordinance in Boise, but it would also, um, outlaw go local governments from implementing fee regulation. Um, Boise has a, uh, a rental application fee limit of $30. So if you are applying to a property that you want to rent, the owners can only charge you $30 for the application fee. 
Um, and Representative Lanting from Twin Falls raised a concern about taking over or taking this power from local governments away because he said that he's seen in Twin Falls um, people having just crazy fees um, that were implemented by landlords. And, you know, it, it's a complicated issue that that extends well past just the uh, application fee. There's other fees like, you know, if you don't pick up after your dog or, you know, things like that. Well, I remember the debate over uh, Boise's uh, $30 ordinance, and we heard from people who, you know, applying for for spaces, for, for apartments who were getting uh, hit with a very high fees, you know, and they would go from place to place, especially with a tight, a tight market like we have and, and spend having to spend just tons of money. So I can see where um, that would be a concern for folks who supported the $30 um, cap in Boise. So it's fascinating that this bill covers so much and it sounds like this is going to keep going through the legislature. It's, it's going on to the house. Yes. So it did um, make it out of committee. Um, it passed 13 to 4, um, and it has a recommendation that the bill does pass. So we'll we'll see what happens when it hits the House floor and, and see what people have to say about it. All right. I know you'll watch it. Nicole, you had another fascinating story um, that that includes federal money, crisis pregnancy centers, Idaho Republicans, I'm going to let you explain it. Yeah, it is. Um, it's a pretty complicated one. So um, as you mentioned, it it is a federal funding issue. So um, to kind of trace this back to its origin, um, last fall, the Biden administration um, put out a proposed rule for a program that's called um, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. And so this disperses money to the states who then give this money in grants to um, places that support families with children that are just needing some extra help. Um, and some of that money can go towards um, things like trying to educate people about um, preventing what they call out-of-wedlock pregnancies. Um, part of the description for this um, TANF program is trying to um, create or uh, promote two-parent families, trying to give people education and resources so that they're not reliant on um, government assistance. So that's what this program does. Um, the Biden administration took a look at it and said, hey, we think some of the money that we are dedicating to this program isn't really going towards this. So for example, in some cases, it's going towards these pregnancy resource centers who are using it to counsel people after they're already pregnant. So that doesn't really meet our goal of preventing these out of wedlock pregnancies because you're not preventing it if the person's already pregnant. Um, so that sort of set off alarm bells for some Republican lawmakers. Um, these pregnancy resource centers are pretty controversial. They're called pregnancy resource centers by some people. Some folks call them crisis pregnancy centers. Um, they are criticized a lot by um, abortion rights activists who say that they are pretty predatory and that these are places who 
advertise, you know, resources for people who have unwanted or surprise pregnancies um, and say, hey, you can come get a free ultrasound. You can come get resources. We'll help you talk through what your options are with this pregnancy. Um, a lot of times those places will make it seem like abortion is an option. And instead, um, many of them are um, counseling people against abortion or refusing to give them that option in, in any way. Um, obviously, abortion is illegal here in Idaho now, so that's not um, an option that they would be providing. But there are some other concerns. So uh, a bunch of Republicans in the federal government have signed on to efforts to say this bill will keep the Biden administration from being able to exclude pregnancy resource centers. And Senator Jim Risch is one of the Republicans who is co-sponsoring that effort. And our representatives, Russ Fulcher and Mike Simpson, um, have both voted for the House version of that bill. So we've got um, all, almost all of our congressional delegation at this point saying we want to make it so that the federal government can't exclude these pregnancy centers when they're giving out these funds. Um, like I said, we we don't have any legal abortions here in Idaho, so there's some um, some nuance there, and there's also some nuance in that I reached out to the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare that's responsible for dispersing those funds in our state. Um, they said as far back as 2018, they don't believe any of their funds have gone towards any of these pregnancy resource centers. So we've got our congressional delegation standing up um, to support these pregnancy resource centers, but it doesn't really seem like this is something that we're dealing with much here in Idaho. It's it's a fascinating story, and you dig into the, the centers, and um, I talk about how many there are. I had no idea. And, and just interesting about the TANF money, um, I, I think there's a lot of confusion about what it goes to, I never knew it could go to something like that. And so it's fascinating to read your article and, and find out more. And it sounds like this this is now something that uh, that our congressional delegation is is trying to get into. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. And like you said, there are um, a lot more of these resource centers than I think people realize. There are about two dozen across the state. Um, some of them set up shop like Stanton Healthcare here in the Treasure Valley has a few locations they tend to set up shop right next to um, Planned Parenthood so that when people are going to Planned Parenthood, um, maybe they see Stanton instead and choose to go to that location. Um, Stanton also runs or is affiliated with um, some pretty vehemently anti-abortion groups, um, some groups that preach for abstinence and, um, and other kind of Issues like that, um, and they also have a, a pretty controversial um, medical procedure that they advertise doing that's called abortion pill reversal that the American Medical Association says is um, not backed by science. So we've got, yeah, some some interesting um, things at play there with, you know, why these places are receiving f funding if they are, again, Places like Stanton and Idaho have not received that funding, at least not as far back as 2018. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting um, kind of torch that our delegation has picked up on. Again, another fascinating story of a lot going on. So uh, check it out. Alex, we're going to head back to you. You had a story. Um, 
where a judge decided that Boise police used flagrant conduct in a man's arrest. He's suing city um, officers in the case. This has to do with loitering. Tell us about uh, what set this up. Yeah, so it's kind of a really interesting case. Um, This happened actually back in 2022, but, you know, with all the court proceedings and now the lawsuit, it's kind of really coming into play now. And so back in 2022, this um, guy, he was parked at a 24-hour car wash. And um, while he was parked there, two officers from the Boise Police Department approached him. And, you know, they had their lights really bright on. They're approaching him. And uh, one of the officers actually even drew his gun and um, what their you know accusation was is that he was loitering in this um, in this car wash, and that you know they kind of maybe had later on this thought that maybe he was there to do some kind of drug deal, or you know that at least there was something suspicious about him being there. And so, um, because of the way that officers approached, and since they you know they didn't they didn't really have <laughs> the all the you know enough evidence according to the judge to really even accuse him of loitering in the first place because they didn't sit there and watch him loiter at the um, car wash. The judge actually threw the charges out because when officers um, arrested and kind of searched this guy, they did find some drugs in his car. But the judge threw that charge out because, you know, he said that it just, um, they just didn't have the right to be searching his car in the first place. And so now um, he's suing the city, um, you know, over allegations that, you know, he was, that, you know, he was wrongfully arrested and that his Fourth Amendment rights were violated. And, um, you know, he's also there's kind of this interesting component to the lawsuit because they're accusing the department of using the city's loitering ordinance as kind of a, a de facto general warrant to, you know, gain access to people's cars or other parts of their property. So they can conduct searches when maybe police don't have, you know, that aren't allowed to do that. So, Well, it's a fascinating case. And, you know, I think it gets to some of the tools that uh, that that police use and and the judge uh, taking issue with that. And I, I you know, you get down into this this whole idea of loitering, um, you know, what constitutes loitering? I think you said in the story that he said he'd been sitting in the car wash looking for change so he could run the car wash, even though it was in the middle of the night. So, I mean, it's 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 a fascinating story. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, his um, attorney who has, um, you know, helped file the lawsuit, I think, you know, it pointed to an, a similar incident where um, this happened with the Boise Police Department as well, where a woman was actually sitting in her vehicle outside of um, like a big smoke or some other kind of business um, in Boise and, and kind of a similar thing. Officers accused her of loitering. But again, the judge threw the case out because they just said that in that case, the judge actually raised that, you know, a public parking lot is pretty much a public space. So if someone's sitting in their car, it's just, that's not loitering. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think it really comes down to, you know, like what is loitering and how broad is the city's loitering ordinance? And I think that's something that, you know, his attorney, I think is pushing for is maybe he actually would like to see the city um, kind of rep- repeal its uh, loitering ordinance. Cause he finds that it's, he called it, well, he called it plainly unconstitutional. And it's something that some cities have actually done. Um, Seattle, for example, has um, removed some of their loitering ordinances. So it's quite interesting. It is. Um, and it. I think we're going to dovetail into Clark because you've been following a new bill that would create mandatory minimum fines for marijuana possession in Idaho, um, which is fascinating. 
tell us about this uh, this new bill. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. It's uh, Sam. It's a brand new bill in the Idaho legislature. It's actually the second effort this year uh, to create a new mandatory minimum fine uh, for marijuana possession. Obviously, the situation is. Uh, with the exception of Wyoming, where it is still illegal, all of the rest of Idaho's neighboring states uh, have either legalized medical cannabis, uh, like in the case of Utah, or in the case of Oregon, Washington, Montana, and Nevada, they allow uh, for the recreational use, possession, and sale of marijuana. But Idaho's going a different way. Um, a new bill introduced this week, House Bill 606, would create a mandatory minimum fine of $420 for anybody convicted of possession of less than three ounces of marijuana. This bill's kind of at the very beginning of its journey, so it still has to go through the public hearing uh, process and still has to go to the floor of the Idaho House and Idaho Senate uh, if it's going to advance. But yeah, it's creating a uh, creating a situation where Idaho is kind of going the opposite way of some of the other states. And rather than opening it up or legalizing it, uh, looking to um, uh, increase the punishment with a mandatory minimum fine. Uh, now, there's the already books. a maximum fine possible, right? Yeah, for sure. So this deals with less than three ounces of marijuana. There are already laws on the book that address what happens uh, for someone uh, guilty of possessing more than three ounces of mm. marijuana. And that's, like you said, a maximum fine of up to $10,000 or a five-year prison sentence when we talk about more than three ounces of marijuana. I think uh, this situation right now is that for less than three ounces, it had been kind of left up uh, to the judge in the legal system. Uh, but this bill would say, no, we're going to have that mandatory minimum fine of $420 for anything less than three ounces of marijuana. So that's basically any marijuana possession um, at all, based on the way that I read that bill. Gotcha. And you also uh, have been following this fentanyl test strip um, story, which uh, kind of brought the house together. Yeah, for sure. This was a rare case where uh, there was a bipartisan effort that led to a unanimous vote in the Idaho House. But on Wednesday, uh, Sam, like you said, the Idaho House voted to legalize fentanyl test strips. Now, currently, current law says that fentanyl test strips are classified as drug paraphernalia and are illegal. Uh, but what fentanyl test strips are, they are small strips of paper that can detect whether fentanyl is present in a drug or another substance. Several other states uh, allow fentanyl test strips, and the idea is is that people can use these uh, to uh, avoid unintentionally exposing themselves to to fentanyl. Uh, during the debate over this bill, uh, Representative Marco Erickson, a Republican from Idaho Falls, said that last year 188 people in Idaho died of a fentanyl overdose, and oh so gosh. this is an effort where he teamed up with Boise Democrat uh, Representative Alana Rubel uh, to sponsor this bill to legalize test strips uh, and hopefully make it readily accessible and easily available to people where they can perform these tests uh, to ensure that fentanyl is not present in a substance. And so that passed the House, like I said, 70 to zero. Uh, it still has to go to the Idaho Senate uh, for consideration. So there's still uh, one more hurdle before that could be sent to Governor Brad Little's um, desk. But uh, yeah, that was kind of a rare case where you see Republicans and Democrats working together and everybody getting behind something 
uh, for a unanimous uh, vote. But there's been a lot of talk in fentanyl in Idaho and across the country over the last couple of years. There have been other bills related to fentanyl, uh, but this is all about uh, seemingly making these test strips available uh, to folks so that they know uh, what is in the substances or drugs that they're looking at, and they can quickly and easily detect if fentanyl is present or not. So that's um, House Bill 441 is that one on the fentanyl test strips there, Sam. Fascinating. Sydney, you're up. Let's talk about this um, Meridian Council worrying about a possible hole in the ground. Now, Boise had this for years where um, some construction sort of didn't make it and ended up with a giant hole in the middle of downtown Boise. Is Meridian going to have the same thing? So, yeah, let's talk about Union 93. Um, It would not be a hole in the ground, so um, that's the good news. But it it would, well, it would still be more of a concrete and rebar structure of a half-built multi-use project. So, um, yeah, (sighs) Union 93 is planned to be... Um, 360 residential units with some retail and office space all in the heart of downtown Meridian, just actually um, in the shadows of Meridian City Hall. Um, In 2022, the cranes for the project came down, and um, that's kind of when... Uh, we started working on this story. My colleague, Autumn Robertson, reached out to the developer, Galena, and asked, hey, you know, what's what's going on with these cranes? And they said, oh, we're just replacing the one crane with two new ones. Um, and then the, the two new cranes never showed up. Um, then Meridian Development Corporation was told that the work on site would resume in February and it didn't. Um, and then later Boise Dev was told that it would resume in mid mid April, that they were just having finance issues. Um, in August, when I reached out, they said that they had closed on financing and that construction would resume as soon as they can um, negotiate all relevant contracts. But um We found out that it's a little bit more complicated than that because the developer is facing about $1.87 million worth of liens that were filed by unpaid contractors and subcontractors. And they are also facing about $18.9 million in lawsuits for unpaid work on the property. Wow. Okay, so in a minute or so... We have left. The city can't do much about this right now, can it? No, the city can't do much about it. They just kind of have to sit and see how this plays out in court. Um, And it's, you know, something that I think is causing a little bit of heartburn in Meridian because you have this half-built structure. um, And also it's in an urban renewal district that just had its other project kind of go into a holding pattern because the developer on the civic block project uh, backed out. So there's, there's a lot going on with this. um, But really, we're just going to have to wait and see how this plays out. If Galena gets financing um, and can pay their contractors, or if it will go to trial in September and just 
you know, see what happens there. Wow. Okay, a lot to this story. And we just barely scratched the surface with our great reporters this week, including Clark Corbin with the Idaho Capital Sun, Alex Bruzzi, the criminal justice and breaking news reporter with the Idaho Statesman, Sydney Kidd with BoiseDev.com, Nicole Blanchard with the Idaho Statesman. Please check out all their great reporting. We'll put some links on our website, BoiseStatePublicRadio.org. I want to thank you all for being here today. Happy Friday and uh, keep up the great reporting. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks Have a great weekend. Thanks so much for listening to Idaho Matters. Boise State Public Radio and Idaho Matters are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jemma Gaudette. We'll see you tomorrow. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.